Well, hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Christy Jansen, Chief of Staff at the World Business Academy, and I'm here in a virtual room thanks to Zoom with Ronaldo Brutico, the Academy's president and founder, and Benjamin Schwartz, our producer for this show. The World Business Academy is a 501c3 nonprofit action incubator dedicated to elevating the consciousness of people in the business community and encouraging business leaders to use their power and influence to take greater responsibility for the communities and the environment their work touches. We are recording this show on June 14th, 2020. And Ronaldo, what another crazy week this has been. It's been, it's just never stopping. I don't know what to say. You know, that's that old Chinese uh, curse. May you live in interesting times. <laughs> we certainly do. <laughs> and you know, it's, um, we went to, I don't, we started doing this show from monthly after 10 years. We went to weekly several months ago because we thought we couldn't get it all done if we waited for a whole month and too much would happen. Weekly is not enough. I mean, I could literally do this show every day. I'm looking here, and, and you know this is true. I'm looking at about 10, 12 pages of fine, very thin spaced pages of notes. And we're not going to get through more than a third of it. And I'm thinking, gee, there's a lot of the good stuff I'm going to leave on the cutting room floor here. But there's nothing I can do except to try and pace this so that the maximum benefit for our listeners can occur. And um, I'm going to start that by by referencing what the Fed chair did on Wednesday. Um, first of all, uh, Fed chairman uh, Jerome Powell is known for many things, but one of them isn't for his amount of moral courage or uh, his spine. He yeah. historically uh, basically kissed the ring to Trump more than once in this crisis and in the process has done a disservice to the country. We did, we did a podcast on that a, a few months ago, last year, middle of a So this date on that, because I think he's finally developing a little spine. I think he's finally starting to realize that history is not going to judge the people who are enabling Trump any better than they judge the Third Reich after 1946. The, the truth is what Trump has been doing to destroy every institution in our society, <clears throat> the Justice Department, the, the, the IRS, the, uh, there, there's probably a trillion dollars his, his government has given away and won't even report who they gave it to. I mean, this is corruption on a, a scale that nothing even in the depths of the Ulysses Grant administration would even have conceived of. Now, why I'm making that comment, it's not just to slam Trump. I think everybody who knows Trump, including his supporters, know what I said is true, that the real issue is Jerome Powell. And for him to come out on Wednesday and basically say, this is not going to be a V recovery, as we said last week. It's not, it's not going to be a W. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. What he's saying is, we have the biggest economic crisis in the history of the country. We went for the lowest unemployment rate, basically, in 90 years, 9-0. And we went to the highest one ever in the space of two months. Well, even the Great Depression took longer than that to go through the economy. So what's really happening here, he's willing to say, is something that's structurally flawed. In fact, he goes on to say that his assumption is there will be a significant chunk, well into the millions of people, workers, who, quote, don't get to go back to their old job. And in fact, there may not be a job in that industry for them some for some time, if ever. I wrote, he said for some time, I'm saying if ever, I'm adding. Okay, and in the, even in that article, though, he permitted himself to reference the fact that the unemployment rate had not yet bottomed out, perhaps, even if it got to 14.7%, knowing full well when he said it that the unemployment rate was not 147 So let's just dwell on that for a second. Why didn't he say the unemployment rate 
is may have bottomed out at 16.4%, which is the actual number that was corrected two days after the wrong number was released by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So everybody's still thinking it's 13.3% was the number. That was not the number. It was 16.4%. And by the way, I'm not sure that is the bottom. But if it is the bottom, and if Prowl is right, which I don't, that 9.2% will be where we are for December. Well, if you add the three plus points he just took off with a bad statistic, you're back over 12% by December. And I think that's probably closer to accurate. So what's, what's going to happen here? And by the way, Steve Mnuchin, Treasury Secretary, has already acknowledged certain industries, hospitality, uh, which includes theme parks as well as hotels, airlines, so travel. They are never going to come back to their pirate past glory. In fact, I'm noticing that the airlines that look like they're going to survive this crisis are the ones that have already arranged government bailouts. So you got, for example, Cafe Air, China, first one up. Uh, you got Air France about to do it. You've got basically $6 billion that went to United not long ago. And we don't know how much more went there or will go there. Same with American. So if the United States, like other governments, chooses to treat their airlines as national tourism assets. Now, remember, that's what airlines did up until... 20 years ago. All along, airlines were subsidized by the governments of the countries that they were serving by bringing tourists to their country. It appears the airline industry is going to be subsidized on something like that going forward, which is important because if you eliminate the highly inexpensive, really inexpensive travel budgets that the airline industry uncorked for tourism and to create business travel, you can see that there is a substantial chunk. I'm going to guess that at least 25% of airline traffic never comes back and it might be higher. I'm going to say that 35%, as I said several times in the show already, 35% of retail never coming back. And if it does within the next two years, it'll be closed by the end of the two years, just because it'll bounce in and out. I'm going to say that the hotel industry is probably going to lose at least 20% uh, to 25% nationally. Uh, and I'm going to say that it could be as high as 15 to 20% globally, although I'm, I think the international hotel market is going to come back a lot faster than it's already starting to do so. So when you look at all of these data points and you say, why was Powell sugarcoating what is bad enough story as it is? And it's because he's trying to now work his way out of the Trump aura. He's, he's starting to come out of the shadow and say, okay, I got to start telling a little truth. So people get used to hearing that truth and start preparing for that truth. So even then, I applaud him for being quoted as saying he sees years of economic pain. He doesn't think we're going to restore the economy in 2020. He's right. We're going to have a heck of a time doing it in 2021, even if there's a new administration. And many people think there won't be a new administration. I want to also say with absolute certainty, uh, COVID, the pandemic will continue to grow. It's growing right now. We're at 100 and, well, when people hear this show, which I think will be next Monday or Tuesday, we'll be about 119,000 dead, so very close to 120,000. Uh, we're going to, I think the press is going to start picking up on that when it gets to be about 125,000 as a next milestone. And that's not the end. And by the way, that's underreported because if you look at the most reliable statistic that you can find for how many people COVID probably killed, it's really simple. You look at every country's five-year moving average for how many people would have died in that period of time one year. You look at how many died, say, in America, and the difference is clearly COVID. And that doesn't even take into account the people who are being severely injured by having COVID ongoing symptoms or, you know, the the decreased capacity that they are going to be left with for who knows how long. We don't understand how this disease works. One of the notes I left on the cutting room floor is here are the statistics you can bank on. Of the people who get sick, 
and I'm going to guess that number is for the United States of America. I'll bet you we have at least 200 million people infected before this is over. Of Ooh. that 70 some percent, probably about 75, 80% of those people, even as much as 80%, something high, will be relatively mild or not require hospitalization. So asymptomatic, non-hospitalization. Of the 15% or so that do get hospitalized, about a third are going to require intubation, meaning ventilators. And of those who get intubation, approximately 75% are going to die. Now, those are horrific statistics, but let's go back to the point you just made, Christy. Forget the ones that are dying, because that, that alone, that's 3 to 4% of all the people who get sick. And if 200 million people are going to get sick, the number is 6 million could die. And I don't think we're gonna we're not gonna get there if we get smart, but we haven't gotten smart yet. We've gotten stupid. Gotten no, stupid. yeah. And then I say, what about the people who were in that huge number of seventy percent plus that didn't have to go to a hospital? A lot of those people are gonna have permanent injuries. It's already clear. Yeah. Already clear. And and the, of the people who did go to the hospital, if they didn't get intubated, they still have huge problems. And if you got intubated, you for sure got huge problems. Everything from brain starvation of oxygen to lung disease that will be permanent, to internal organ disease. I mean, I was just pleased that what, a 20-some-year-old girl just had the first double lung transplant in the Yeah, I was, I was going to mention that just now. <laughs> there's, but there's brain effects that we don't really understand. And there's the, the children. There's a number of children who are getting some strange disorder. Some of them are dying from that. It, we don't understand this disease yet. And as a result, and by the way, I want to applaud again Fauci. Uh, who heads the Infectious Disease Division, the CDC, and the CDC, who's finally also like Powell waking up. They just started giving bulletins again. Now, they're doing it quietly so that Trump doesn't get offended with press conferences, but they're issuing bulletins, which is great. And Fauci gave a talk to the healthcare industry two days ago in which he said the worst probably is still in front of us. It's the long way from over, he said. The yeah. reason is we've never seen something that was this contagious, that is this deadly, that is this sophisticated. By the way, that has already morphed into new two or three new forms, just to let you know. So, mm -hmm. Until there is a vaccine and one that can cover the various forms of this disease as it mutates, he believes we are going to be in a crisis, a growing crisis. Now, does he think we're going to do... 200,000 dead? I'm sure he thinks that. I'm sure he figures that's a gun, foregone conclusion. Can we stop it between 200,000 and 2 million? I hope so. Can we stop between 2 million and 6 million? We sure as heck better. Okay, But I think we can stop it between 200,000 and a million. But to do that, we're going to have to really get our act together. And we so far have shown no signs of doing it. So that's going to be tremendous pressure on the economy. Okay, so t talk a little bit more about what the what you're seeing in the economy now that we're getting back into that. What are the indicators? What is the what is the Jerome Powell telegraphing well, well, that you see well, well, coming out? The damage to the economy already has been so severe that if the government doesn't continue keeping us on life support, which is what three trillion dollars in two months is, and that life support begins to run out in some forms at the end of July, which is exactly five six weeks away, another chunk ends in the end of August. And the airlines that were told to keep their employees till the end of September, that constraint falls away too. So what you're looking at is a very significant increase in unemployment, and you're going to see some people coming back to work. Um, I'm pleased in a way that people are even beginning to understand the impact on um, white-collar workers. Uh, right now, uh, people have been focusing, as they should, on the people in the lower economic stratas that are being our, 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 our frontline warriors, if you will. 
But like the CEO of um, Double Line Capital, which is a $135 billion organization, Jeffrey Gunlock, basically said he sees the potential for, quote, a wave of more high-end unemployment, close quote, hitting white-collar workers making more than 100000 per year. Why? Well, if you stop flying, which American Airlines did 55% of its flights, 50% of its flights, you don't need as many senior managers. You just don't. Yeah, I I know somebody who's who has, is in the design industry, and she's very worried about the interior design industry. They work with hotels. People they've worked with for 30 years are now losing their positions because the hotel Hilton is laying people off. And these are high level executives that are losing their jobs, not just the not just the maids and the the housekeepers, but um, it's starting to go up the chain. So thank you, Fauci, for basically saying this. Peop, you got to get it, folks. You, you don't understand. It's getting worse. It's not getting better. We were up over two thousand deaths a day. We hit eighteen hundred dead a day just a couple days ago because we're back up again. Got down as low as a thousand a day. And it's going to keep growing. And if Trump does, which I think he will, goes to Tampa, I mean to, to uh, not Tampa, to uh, Kansas, uh, he will find to uh, find that he, even though he delayed it a day, that, that, that rally he's so desperate to do in Kansas. You mean the Tulsa, Oklahoma one? The, yeah. Yeah, Tulsa, Oklahoma. If he does that and he packs people, which he likes to do into an auditorium, not outdoors, and he keeps them six inches apart and he tells them not to wear masks, I think those people are not only going to get a high level of infection, they're going to bring it back to their Republican friends around the country. Which, by the way, did you see that, that there's a clause for anybody going to the rally? They have to give no liability to the Trump organizers if they get sick. Because they know. They know. In Jacksonville is going to be an absolute, what do they call it? A, a, a mass spreader event. What do they call it? There's a word for it. It's, like, it's going to be yeah. a mass be contagion a mass event. Contagion mass event. contagion event, yeah. <laughs> So I don't. I mean, why he's doing that? The people who otherwise want to come vote for him in November, I don't know. But now back to the economics, which is, as COVID gets worse, as the two to three million trillion dollar, rather three trillion dollars, starts to expire, people have said, well, the Republicans are going to put any more money in. Like heck, they're not. They're going to they're going to absolutely run for the again, because they know they're going to be held accountable as this thing continues to collapse. So they will be pumping another trillion or two. You can bear you can bet on it. And the false bravado. Of, of people like uh, Mnuchin uh, or Trump or chief of staff, Mark Meadows. He is saying, well, we're not going to put any more money up. We don't have to. The secret is what the president said. Just open up faster and the economy will be fine. It isn't going to be. And by the way, I want to comment on one thing that's really critical. I heard one of the dumbest things ever where somebody said that the reason we're going to have a V-shaped recovery is because look how fast dentists have come back. And what I want to <laughs> remind people is, Dentistry is a critical care profession. If you have a tooth that is really infected or impacted, or in my case, a double that, and you have to have it extracted, you can't wait for COVID to end. And if you, it, it, but you're an emergency patient, which I was four weeks ago, you go with a great deal of trepidation, but you got to go in. And I have to go back in in six weeks. And, I've, and I now know that they're doing all kinds of things to protect us there and all that sort of thing. But anybody with teeth cleaning, in my case, requirement because of gum disease in earlier life. Uh, so I have to get my teeth cleaned every three months, whether I like it or not. I got to get my tooth extracted, whether I like it or not. I have to have a crown put on a tooth that's cracked, whether I like it or not. Whatever your particular issue is in dentistry, it is not elective in that sense. It, even the teeth cleaning is not elective. And therefore, yeah. dentists have come back quickly, has nothing to do with what's going on in the rest of the economy. Don't use that statistic. 
But even even the dentists, they haven't come back all the way. In uh, the 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 most of them, I mean, the ones the areas of the country that have come back the most are still at least thirty percent to fifty percent down in terms of how many people are actually visiting the dentists. Yeah, and and, and there will be a dim because. People are delaying. They don't have the money, and they may have lost their dental insurance. Dental insurance is not common, so no. So, so yes, it's not going to come back fully. But but the speed with which it came back has nothing to do with the speed of the recovery. And for people no. to quote that yeah. disingenuous at best, I believe probably misleading. So the uh, the next thing I wanted to mention is that as these airlines get propped up by the Fed government by the by their very respective governments, and as the Fed keeps pumping money, I want to point out that in Europe. Uh, Christian Lagrande has now the who basically is the ECB president has said that uh, they're extending its bond buying program by 600 billion euros. That's 683 billion dollars, by the way. And she said that that scheme will continue until June of 2021. She said it's an appropriate response and it's something we need to do now in that context, because the economy is going to continue to get weak is my point. And the Europeans know it. They just otherwise you don't put up six hundred and eighty-three billion dollars yesterday, just or Thursday, because you're thinking it's going to be fine. They're smart in Europe, but even the Europeans are buying what the World Bank is saying that they expect the GDP to contract only by five point two percent. I got to tell you, I'm an optimist. I've even been accused of being Pollyanna at, at times, and five point two percent. If I, if they get five point two percent. I want to think of some way to celebrate publicly. I don't think it's even remotely possible. And so why is that? Well, because part of the strategy from here on out, as the economy continues to deteriorate in the United States, and it will between here and November, it will continue to deteriorate as COVID gets worse, as whatever the Republicans do to let some money through the system in, let's say, probably August, it'll only get them through to probably October. They'll still be looking at the fact they're propping it up. Everybody will know it. Structural damage to certain sectors of the economy will be clearly visible and non-reparable at that point. So our economy is going to go down much worse. Unemployment in the United States, if it gets below 10% in this year, in in 2020, I'll be shocked. I I hope it does. But until it does, the Elizabeth Warren program of $2,000 per adult over the age of 18 absolutely should be put in place. Otherwise, we won't have enough consumption to keep us out of a deeper ditch than we could even crawl out of if we wanted to. So... Two thousand a person for the next till we're until I, I say the, the the law should be until we're below ten percent unemployment. You get below ten percent, okay, drop the two thousand. But in the meantime, that money, and even when it goes to people who like Benjamin, who is a recent college graduate who is working two jobs to make good on his need for postgraduate income, even he gets that two thousand bucks, which will permit Benjamin to start spending more. And and what we need is all the Benjamins who can spend more to spend more. Because otherwise we won't have enough consumption, and that's really where the pressure is going to come between now and November. I love the concept of this, Ronaldo. But part of the criticism we're seeing with even the expanded unemployment benefits that people are getting—that extra six hundred dollars a month—is that some people are getting paid so much that they they have no incentive to go back to the work that they were doing when they were laid off. First of all, I want to talk about that. First of all, that's never been proven. And and, mm-hmm. and 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 my experience of work, um, so you know my age, I'm well above the retirement age. I work because I love what I do. And I think that most people prefer doing what they can do than sitting on a park bench twiddling their thumbs or feeding the squirrels. I don't think people want to be unemployed. Why does a 95-year-old go back to work at McDonald's unless it's because he wants to be with other people and feel like he's being useful? And I can give you many examples like that. 
Um, in fact, I, we're going to talk in a little bit about at the show about a, a, a letter to the editor, so to speak, we got. And I, I want to chat about that a little bit. But the, the issue for us to look at as a, adult, mature, calm folks is we're now, and this is the best perspective, and we won't achieve this, by the way. According to the World Bank, rich economies are due to contract by an average of 7% this year. Wow. Now, that, just to put a context, thank you, Mr. Trump, to put a context on that's the worst it's been in over 60 years. And if it gets it that bad or a little bit worse, it's going to be worse than the Great Depression, which is what I think is coming. Because we're in a depression now. We just have been sub, we've been subsidizing our way out of it. So now that we know that, and we know that the Europeans are onto it too, let's introduce um, uh, the statistics you want to hear. And I'm going to do it really fast. Obviously, gold continues to rise. Um, it's not too late to buy it. It's at uh, 1700 and something uh, an ounce, 1730 an ounce. I still don't see anything that'll stop it from going to 2000. It's up. 30% since just a year ago. It's up over 40% since we started recommending it. Don't resist the temptation to buy gold. It's probably the safest thing you can do right now. Uh, next, uh, I want to introduce a new segment on the show. But let me set it up this way. I believe we've had a failure of journalism in this country. Uh, one of my favorite quotes is uh, by uh, Thomas Jefferson, where he said, uh, the price of a democracy is an informed electorate. And it is the job of journalists, the fifth estate, to give us the information we can't have on our own because we're not there with our eyes and ears. There is a controversy raging right now, which I think is a false controversy. And it's been on the editorial page of the New York Times. That's why I'm commenting. There is a belief that either you have to report what, quote, both sides say, if you're going to be objective and neutral and journalistic, or you should report what the truth is. Now, this came up over the, the resignation of the uh, editorial board chairman at the New York Times because he printed an absolutely scurrilous race-baiting article by Senator Tom Cotton. Now, my, my, my reason for mentioning that is journalism's job is not to take sides, clearly. So no argument there. But it is their job to report the truth as they see it, and they haven't done that at all. They've done a terrible job of that. In fact, their false equivocation is why we're in this mess in the first place, because they never called what they saw up close about Trump. They never called it because they wanted to say, well, Trump said this and the other people say that. No, no. If the truth is this and you know it, you can't repeat the non-truth as if it's an equal dignity. And given that he's lied 20,000 times, by the way, the New York, the Washington Post book on his lies just came out. Unfortunately, they had to stop at 18,500 lies, but he's now over 20,000. So you don't say a guy who's lied 20,000 times, here's what he said. No, you comment. You say, okay, despite, despite Trump's comments to the contrary, it is clear his campaign is infected with white racism, structural racism as well as white racism overtly. You say that. You call it like it is. And we haven't done that. Yeah, I mean, it's absurd to say that giving equal weight to various um, viewpoints is equal to actually talking about what is really happening in the world, right? I mean, to say that scientists who have one point of view and you have to give the crackpots who have another, who have the opposite point of view just because it, that's, that's ridiculous. That's not truthful reporting. I'm sure somewhere in the planet somebody believes the earth is flat. Got to be one of them. Got to be one of them. Now, now, that doesn't mean that there's an argument. It doesn't mean that there's two sides to the question. The world is round. So the reporter should say, if somebody says, gee, I think the earth is flat, the reporter would say, Despite the evidence which is overwhelming to the contrary, 
this particular crackpot thinks the world is flat. Wonder what got into his head. Now, <laughs> that's the same way I treat climate change. I don't, I don't even argue about climate change anymore. If people are not on to the fact that climate change is real and it's here, I can't help them. Okay, really quickly, here's the new feature I want to start this, this show. And I'm going to, every, every show I'm going to do it because I keep running out of time without having a chance to talk about some of the things in the world. I want to talk about not just the structural racism and the failure of journalism. We're, we're going to be talking a lot about that in the future on this show. I want to talk about what's going on in the rest of the world. For example, Israel received a warning in Hebrew from the foreign minister of Dubai saying, do not proceed with that annexation or you will blow the positive reaction you currently have from Saudi Arabia and the Arab countries. We're not going to stand by you even if we want your money and let you do that. Do not proceed. By the way, most of the military and most of the intelligence community of Israel, Shin Bet, agrees. What's going on in Brazil? You got a guy who's crazy. He got in, he got in on graft and corruption by putting Lula in jail. He was a backbencher at the time. He said he was for a military takeover. Well, Bolsonaro now is actually doing that. He's pushing for a military takeover of his own country. And this is a country that only got free of the military, the Cadillos, in 1981. Um, New Zealand, happy story. COVID-free and guess what? You can't visit there right now because they're going to keep foreigners out because there isn't a single case of COVID in the country. And they want to keep it that way for a while. And they're going to wait for the rest of the world to catch up. Uh, Libya, great news. Haftiar, the, the, the strong man. Uh, who's been attacking the Tripoli government that the rest of the world recognizes, supported only by Russian firepower, Russian jets, and Russian money, has finally collapsed his his, his attack. He's a 76-year-old guy. What he's out there doing, I don't know, in the first place. Heftier trying to become a, a, a cadillo of his own. But as he pulled back, we've discovered mass graves. It turns out this man has been engaging in genocide. And the Russians knew wow. Uh, and last but not least, let's turn quickly to Sweden, which because everybody said, oh, the Swedish model, they let it go. Look what happened. The only country in Europe that's doing worse per capita than the United States is Sweden. So just want to point out, it's been a terrible failure. So if you hear about the Swedish example, don't feel good that they did it better. They did it so much worse than us at this point, which is hard to believe. Okay, so benign neglect is even worse than what we've got. I guess that's where I'm going to leave it for today, other than to say the markets are not going to stay up. If you are out of the market, congratulations. If you own gold, you're making money. If you're in the market, you better get out real fast because the crash is coming. You started to see the first hiccups this week. I've been talking about this for quite a while, that it, you can sustain it only for so long. And even when you pump $3 trillion and the Fed goes online and says, we will buy even bad debt from junk bond suppliers. Even that will not be enough now, which it was, to keep the markets up. Um, and I want to put in a plug. We're going to do a special show on um, people who want to do day trading. And we're, we're going to spend a, an hour just talking about day trading. What to know, what to avoid, what chances you got, how do you maximize those chances. So be sure to listen in for when that will be available. Uh, you had something, Christy? Well, I just want to say that that's, we're working on that. It's going to be for our paid subscribers only. Um, that's a, a, a new plan we're, we're, we're incubating. Um, so it's, I'm glad you brought it up, but people should write in and ask us about when that when that comes out. You should also ask us about the special we're going to be doing on real estate. But On real estate, yeah. We're going to- Our worldly tour with Peru. Now, Peru did everything right. It clamped down. It has a decent middle class. It, um, it has a stable government. And it thought it was going to avoid the worst of COVID, and it didn't. Why? Because it ended up that there's just too many people, about 70% of the people in Peru do not have access to appropriate either sanitation, groceries, as lack of refrigeration, 
or the like. So they're going to the marketplace every day and they're spreading COVID like crazy. And so Peru, which tried to do everything right, can't do it because of the economic disequality in the country. That's the same problem we're going to have here in spades. It's, this, is, this is going to be like when you play, um, when you play bridge, your trump cards are the spade cards, right? The, the, those cards are the ones that you play to do trumps. To, 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 funny that that's the word, but I think that's what it is. Anyway, the point of that story is those, those, those cards, which are the power cards in the deck, are the ones that you would expect people would play. You wouldn't expect them to play them against themselves. And that's what this economic disequality does. It's taking your most powerful cards, consumer economy, and you're turning it on itself. Because the rich won't spend anymore, no matter how much more you make them. And in fact, I want to give you a statistic. In the last 30 years, the richest American earners gained huge amounts of money, while the poorest half lost money. That's right. Since 1989, the bottom 50% of earners in the world have lost a collective $900 billion, while the top 1% made an additional $21 trillion. This is the worst inequality of wealth in the United States since the 1920s. And here we are back where the 20s created. Which is just another reason that that $2,000 a month or even a $1,000 a month payment to every adult in this country would be spent much more heavily than just giving money to the richest corporations. That's why you want the $2,000 a month. Yeah. And now I just want to, we're out of time, so I'm going to just do a quick, two, two quick wrap-ups. I want you to know I'm very, very pleased with an article, actually a long-form article that was in The Economist this week, called The Great Awakening, referring to business and race in America. And what they're talking about is how do you really attack structural racism? And the answer is, um, according to Mary Barra, the CEO of General Motors, quote, I am both impatient and disgusted, close quote. She says, in business, we've got to, quote, stop asking why and start asking what needs to be done. Um, Arvind Krishna, IBM's boss, sent a letter to Congress saying he will not permit IBM software to be used for facial recognition if it's done for profiling. The head of the Ford Foundation, Darren Walker, got it. everybody's riveted on the murder of George Floyd. It's, cre- it's, it's, it's caught on, and the American business community and the global business community realizes we have got to stop it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to urge an organization, nonprofit, that I co-founded six years ago, a little over six and a half years ago, called Just Capital, that right now does a COVID tracker. And I'm going to ask, would you start doing a George Floyd tracker? What I'd like to know is, Keep telling me all the stories. Mary Barra said to her suppliers, we're going to audit you to see if you are engaged in any behavior to help the problem of structural racism. And if you are not doing it, you're not going to be a supplier of GM anymore. I believe that we need to know that we could have a business community engaged in the resolution of these issues. I've written two columns in a row in the Mosquito Journal on this subject of how we are half slave and half free, which is very bad for the economy, and what we can do, which I call the white solution, about that. The white solution being all of us who are not black, who have to resolve this as well. Well, I, uh, I'm out of time for today. I'm, I'm really sorry because I, I've got several proposals I would like to mention. Uh, I think, though, uh, Alex, uh, Alex Partners, uh, which is the chief executive, has got him Simon Freakley, um, is a very famous firm, a consulting firm that specializes often in troubled companies and turnarounds, which they're doing box office business. Quote, it's utterly unrealistic for anybody to bifurcate a social problem. Does it sound like the Royal Business Academy? Like, okay. It's also a business issue because business exists in society with employers, customers, suppliers, and stakeholders. He thinks it would be, quote, naive and in denial about the hold of racism in our culture, including our business culture, if we don't take action and turn it around. It's in business's best interest. 
I applaud him for saying so, and I applaud everybody who listened to this show who's willing to do their bit to try and help us make a difference. We have to do this, and it's it's up for decision. It's up for us. We either fix it or we'll be paying the pen- penalty for several generations. I apologize because we did not have time today to cover a very thoughtful email I received from a woman named Diane. And Diane, I'm going to um, I'm going to actually send you a note. And I'm going to tr- incorporate some of what you've asked into next week's show. But what can happen to people in their 60s who already got whacked in 2008, and now they're getting double whacked again in 2020? And we know people over 55 are the la- first fired and the last hired. I understand what you've talked about, Diane. I'm going to comment on it. And thank you for writing in. And for everybody else, uh, please, I've just given you a new thing we're going to do on the show every week, which uh, I'm calling um, Global Signposts. I'm, I'm intentionally just giving you these little nuggets. So if you're curious about what the nugget really means and why we think it's important enough that you should be paying attention to it, send us an email and we'll go in deeper. And with that, thanks, Christy. Thanks, Benjamin. And thanks, everybody, for listening. And tune in again next week. Tell your friends. Great. And before we end, I just want to invite everybody to reach out to us at info at If you have questions, if you want to know more about the global signposts or anything else, please write to us. We love to hear from you. Also, I'd like to ask everybody to support this podcast if you can, however big or small. If you have the means and you appreciate what we do, you're welcome to make a tax-deductible contribution to the World Business Academy at worldbusiness.org donate. And we are going to be starting a subscriber program where we will be giving you additional content for people who are paid subscribers and we're really excited about that keep tuning in to find out how you can do that subscribe to us on itunes or apple podcast stitcher blog talk give us five star ratings and share the information with your friends just search for the world business academy on those platforms and with that that's it for right now ronaldo thank you so much for today benjamin thank you for everything and we will be back with you again next week and thanks everyone can't wait to be able to share some more thoughts with you next week 